So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in the bathroom and I was getting ready for, uh, just getting ready for bed. I was brushing my teeth and I heard these, these little footsteps, these little pitter-patters coming. I was like, what is that? It's 11 o'clock at night. It was late. And then it got closer and closer and louder and louder and it was multiple. And, and what I realized soon that it was going to be, uh, what I realized is that uh, it was my children coming. My, my boys opened the door and here I am getting ready for bed. I'm like, what are you doing? It's 11 o'clock at night, which in reality, it's, it's not crazy because they don't go to sleep. They just like stay up and talk to each other. But I'm, I'm getting ready and I'm like, why? What's happening? But my youngest boy, he, he comes in and he's choking or like, like kind of gagging a little bit, like, like, like something's going on. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm like, what's going on? Just get some water. Let's start there. Okay, get some water. Take a, take a drink. Try to get whatever it is down. So he takes a, a drink and he settles down. I'm like, bro, are you okay? Like, what's happening? It's 1130 at night and you're, you're choking. What's going on? He's like, well, I was, I, I was choking on a toenail. I'm like, time out. You were what? You were, you were, okay, hold on. Let's, let's try to figure this out. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand. Um, why are you choking on a toenail? That's, first of all, it's disgusting. Second of all, what were you doing, like gnawing on your toe? Like, do you have a hangnail? Like, what's happening? What, what do you mean? And, and he pauses and he looks over at his brother and he looks back to me and he says, it, it was his toenail. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am done. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. You guys are, are terrible. Please just go away. I was, I was just appalled. And, and, and why do I tell you this story? Because one, it's a great story. But two, when I, I take my boys and I look at them, the, these like disgusting, obnoxious creatures, and I hold them up to my beautiful little princess who's perfect and can do no wrong, my baby girl, I just remember why I like her more. Like I just, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, but, but in all seriousness, I, I tell you that story because truthfully, we compare things all the time. We compare all the time. I mean, that's how we develop preferences. I mean, the sports teams, this sports team is better than that team. Uh, this restaurant is better than that one. I'd rather go to Target than Walmart. Uh, Wilmington's traffic is worse than every other city on the entire planet, right? You, you get where I'm going. The problem um, one that I'm sure has been an, an issue for millennia, but is so prevalent and prominent in our culture and our generation, primarily because of the like button, uh, the, the thumbs up button, social media, if you catch my vibe, is that that same comparison we use with food and sports, etc., is used for people, is used towards people. It's used when we look at ourselves next to the world. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually shifting gears just a little bit. We're going to pause on wrapping up our series on First Timothy. Uh, I, I, Chris came to me, he was sick, and he said, man, will you feel it? I said, yeah, I just got so much going on. We moved into our house. He said, I won't be able to write a new sermon. I said, I'll, I'll pull one out of the bank. He said, that's perfect, do that, that'll be great. Uh, so we're going to shift gears, and we're, we're going to tackle an issue that I believe, honestly, is one of the leading causes of anxiety and depression, identity issues, relationship issues, you name it. But that issue is comparison. The issue is comparison. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a buddy of mine, his name's Roger, a lot of you guys might know him, uh, he planted a church in Jacksonville. He asked me to come and preach uh, during a series on comparison. I said, man, I'd love to, that'd be great. And when he kicked the series off, he made this statement 
about comparison that I thought that was so true and powerful. And, and it's this, that comparison is a wonderful liar and a terrible master. Comparison is a wonderful liar and a terrible master. Comparison will have you looking at the world and looking at yourself. Looking at, your, at the world, looking at yourself, and it will have you consumed with how you measure up with the world. It's a great liar in that it will have you believing one of two things, one of two things. That everything you want to believe about yourself is true, even though it isn't. Maybe you're more successful than, than you actually are, maybe more gifted than you are. Or that everything you don't want to believe about yourself is true, even though it isn't. Maybe you, you don't look the greatest. Maybe you're ugly. Maybe you're, you're too big. Maybe you feel like a failure. You're not worthy. Whatever else you fill in the blank. Now, that's how, how it's a great liar. Comparison lies to you about everything, but it provides nothing. And that's what makes it a terrible master. Comparison, you see, in relation to our lives versus the world, offers nothing of value, nothing positive, nothing encouraging, nothing loving. And this morning, I want to piggyback off that statement, this idea that it's, it's a terrible, uh, it's a wonderful liar, a terrible master with this statement. I, I want you to, if you, take, if you don't take anything else away, remember this. Comparison is a calling killer. Comparison is a calling killer. What do I mean by that? You may or may not uh, know this, but you have been uniquely created for a very specific purpose. Listen to what Paul says uh, when he wrote a letter to the believers in the church at Ephesus. He says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good works that he planned for us long ago. This is one of those timeless truths that Chris talks about all the time. Paul wrote this to the believers in Ephesus, but he 100% wrote it for everyone all throughout time. Paul says we are masterpieces of the God of the universe. The God who is responsible for everything that you see, that God also created each and every one of us with specific gifts and qualities. Paul says to do some things. To do what kind of things? To do good things. And he had this plan long ago in place. And I love what Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor of Life Church, uh, incredible speaker, uh, gifted leader. He says this, he puts it this way. He says, you are perfectly created by God to fulfill God's purpose for you. For you. God has called us to fulfill his purpose. But what exactly has God called us to do? What does that look like? For each of us. And I think that oftentimes, uh, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, I think we get caught up on God's calling, if you will, for our lives. We, we pray and we seek wisdom and counsel. We might even wait for God maybe to speak to us audibly to say, God, what is it that you want us to do? What do you want me to do? And we don't always hear what we want to hear. We don't hear at all. And yes, there are times and there's moments uh, in the Bible where we see God call someone to something very specific, like, like the Apostle Paul, for example. Someone persecuting Christians, uh, willing to kill them if he has to. Jesus steps in and he says, listen, Paul, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blind you for a minute. And then I want you to go to the city. You're going to get healed there. You're going to meet a guy. He's going to pray for you. He's going to meet with you. And he's gonna, you're going to be healed. And then all of a sudden now I'm going to send you into the rest of the world. And you're going to plant this church and that church and do this thing. Very specific calling. But I think God's calling also sometimes is maybe 
general for most of us. Like when Jesus tells the man who is disabled at, the, at this pool, um, by the pool of Bethesda, uh, he, he tells him, he heals him, and he says, listen, stop sinning. Very general. Sometimes they're specific. Sometimes it's general. But back to the original question, what exactly has God called us to do as followers of Jesus? Whether it's specific or whether it's general, I think there's I think there's three core things that God has called us to do. And real quick, uh, if you're a note taker, jot these down. I think there's three things. Three things. One, to glorify him. To glorify him. To make his name known and to be willing to live by the guidelines that he's put in place for our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whether you, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We're called to glorify him, firstly. Secondly, it says, tell everyone about the hope uh, I think that we're called to tell everyone about the hope, love, and the grace that's offered through Jesus. To tell everybody about Jesus and what he offers. Matthew 8, uh, 28, 19 says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all, the com- obey all the commands I've given you and be sure that I'll be with you always. So glorify him. Tell everyone about his Son and what he offers. And thirdly, to be good stewards of the times, talents, and treasures that he's given us. Be good stewards of our lives just in general. Luke 16, 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. I don't have time to jump into each each of those, those three things. And that's not the main point this morning, but I wanted you to have that and to see that whether it's general or specific calling, whether you feel to go somewhere to a specific group or people or do a specific thing, we all have three things that we've been called to do. To glorify God, to tell people about his son, and to be good stewards of our lives. God has called us, he's created each of us specifically and uniquely to carry out these things. The problem is, back to comparison, Back to comparison, when we start looking at the lives of the world, the ones we see each and every day, who they are, what they have, what they've done, where they're going, and all of a sudden we lose sight of our calling. We forget that God has called us to live out our purpose and not someone else's purpose. We actually, we can't live out other people's calling. God didn't equip us to do the things that only other people can do. Again, glorify God tell people about his son, and be good stewards of what he's given us. If you were trying to live out somebody else's calling, honestly, uh, you'd suck at it. You just wouldn't have what it takes. Uh, For example, some of you, uh, I I love being up here. I love teaching. I love preaching. I love just uh, communicating with people. And I feel like God has given me gifts and abilities to do that. But for some of you, if you thought about coming up here to do this, even the, the idea of somebody asking you to do this, you'd probably wet yourself uh, on the spot because you're like, there's no way I'm going to get up and talk in front of anybody. But maybe some of you are gifted with tools. Maybe that's your gift is you're able to create things uh, and, and be, put things on display for God to see your gifts through that. When I pick up a tool, bad things happen. Destruction happens, not good things happen. So that's why I leave tools alone and I ask my father-in-law to do everything for me because I'm just not good with tools. We were all created uniquely and specifically to do certain things. But listen to me, if we aren't careful, 
If we don't guard our hearts and protect our minds and ask God to remind us that we have been uniquely created to carry out a specific calling only that we can do, then comparison will creep in and it will derail us from accomplishing our purpose. Maybe a specific calling or a general calling, but most assuredly the core things that we, that I talked about a minute ago, we will not be able to accomplish those things because we will be distracted. So the only thing that we can do is compare ourselves to the world. Maybe though comparison isn't something that you struggle with in and of itself. Maybe when you hear that word, you're like, it's not something I really struggle with. But maybe you do when it looks different. Maybe you, maybe you do struggle with comparison if, it, if it's not just the word comparison. Uh, it, here's the thing I've found about comparison. It doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always look the same. Not only is it a wonderful liar and a terrible master, but it's also a smooth deceiver. It's a smooth deceiver. And I've personally seen and experienced comparison manifest itself in a couple different ways. And this morning, I want to illustrate that for us. I want you guys to kind of just see it visually. So when you see um, this item that I'm going to use, you'll be like, oh, I remember that moment when Joe talked about that thing and he talked about comparison. And I got to be careful of that. So there's a couple people I've asked to come up uh, and help me with that. So if you guys will make your way up here, uh, I'd greatly appreciate that. Spread these out a little bit. Will you grab that bag and bring it next to that uh, chair for me? Um, you want to know something, uh, something about balloons? Something awesome about balloons? Uh, there is nothing awesome about balloons. Balloons are terrible. They're the worst things on the entire planet, especially as a parent. These things cause chaos. And, and headache and tension. People fight and, and they want to hit them into the ceiling fan and it knocks it all over the place and they want to hit them back and forth and, uh, and then one pops, heaven forbid, and now you know, little Jimmy's is popped and little Susie, she has one, but he wants hers and, and it's a terrible thing. And they, sometimes they do this thing right here. It's the worst thing in the world or they go like this and it's terrible. As a parent, these things are the worst things on the planet. But for everybody else, they're awesome. I mean, they're great. They bring so much joy to everybody who uses them. You can even do this. Watch. It's awesome. Like, it's a great thing, right? Here's the thing. Balloons are terrible, but let me hand you guys these. And what I want you to do is I want you to take one, blow it up. I want you to hold yours. You guys can tie yours off. Um... But all joking aside, when you fill a balloon up to just the right size, the truth is it's able to, to serve and fulfill its purpose. But depending on how it's treated, filled up too much, maybe too little, uh, something uh, pokes it or hit it too hard, it greatly impacts the ability of the balloon to serve its purpose, to bring joy and or decoration to those who ever use it. We're a lot like balloons. We're a lot like balloons. We're able to carry out God's calling in our lives until we allow comparison to creep in and to kill that calling. Remember that calling? Glorify God, tell people about his son, and be good stewards of his life. We can't do that when we allow comparison to creep in. And just like a balloon can be impacted differently, so can we. Comparison can manifest itself differently. It can creep into our lives and it can kill our calling. And I think there's a couple very specific ways that this happens. 
maybe sometimes comparison manifests itself and it creeps in uh, and it looks, uh, creeps in in the form of self-deprecation. Self-deprecation, we see others' lives and, and situations, their possessions and their talents, and we think, oh, wow, but comparison creeps in as self-deprecation, and then all of a sudden the dis- dis- disapproval of ourselves kicks in. We look, and can I borrow this? We, I mean, look at that guy. He, he's, he's a stud, right? I'll, I'll, never, I'll never look that good. I'll never look that good. What, what's his name is getting that promotion? I, I didn't get it, so maybe I'm not worthy of that promotion. Um, I, I don't know how she does it, but have you seen, what's her name? Uh, her children are so well behaved. Her house is immaculate. Shoot, she like even like does like goat yoga while her kids are meditating in the backyard. But me on the other hand, like I can barely keep my house clean, can barely keep my kids alive. And I hate yoga. I especially hate goats. I, I, I'm just not a good mom and I will never be a good mom. I'll, I'll never live up to, to what they look like. I mean, look at that family. They're so happy. The families, they've got all the cool stuff. They've got it figured out. My family's a wreck. I can't believe they would say that about me. Uh, But I mean, everyone's saying it, so I mean, it's got to be true, right? Now, instead of a nicely inflated balloon, we're left with this. Because comparison has crept in as self-deprecation, and we look at everyone else around us, and now we embrace this lie that we aren't good enough that we aren't good enough, the appearance of others, other situations or, or the words that people have spoken into our lives have talked about us, now we've allowed that to be true. We can't do what God has called us to do when we think that we aren't as good as everyone else. Or maybe, maybe it's the opposite for some of us. Maybe for, for some of us, we have no problem with self-worth. Zero, like whatsoever, like, I'm good, I'm the man, okay? I'm good. Blow that up a little bit more. Um, we're accomplished, we're good looking, keep, keep going. We're extremely talented, we're super tall. Don't blow, don't blow. Uh, <laughs> maybe we're, we're super wealthy, you keep blowing. We're super wealthy, more than anything, we're always right. We're always right, and now there's a different problem. The issue this time is that comparison has worked its way in again. Worse uh, of all, we know better. um, Sorry, it's creeped in again looking different this time. It's manifested itself as pride. It's manifested itself as pride. You look at your life, and you look, and you think, well, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. My life is awesome compared to theirs. And all of a sudden, we become the center of our own world. We want the attention, but worst of all, we know better than everyone else. I mean, what's his name? Didn't even go to school. He doesn't have an education. Certainly has nothing to offer me. And then pride grows, and it grows, and it grows, and gets so big that there's no room for positive, productive growth, for God to do anything in our lives because we're in the way. Pride says, I know best, and no one else can offer me anything. And sadly, though, when this happens, we miss out on the possibility of new relationships, fruitful conversations. Other people don't want anything to do with us because, well, I mean, look at that thing. We're too big and we get in our own way. God has a lot to say about pride. And there's a Proverbs 16, 18 that says this. It's actually a passage known even outside of the church. It said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Pride says, I matter more than everyone else, and no one, really, no one else really has anything to offer me. We can't do what God has called us to do when we think that other people don't have anything to offer us. But maybe it's not self-deprecation. Maybe it's not pride for you. Maybe it looks a little different. We have our balloon, and we're fine with it. It's cool, right? We're, we're good. We're satisfied. We uh, perfectly crafted to achieve exactly what it was created to do. But here comes comparison sliding in again. You, you like your balloon. However, you look at everybody else. You see what's-her-name's uh, creative Instagram post, and you think, okay, well, no wonder she has all those followers. I mean, look at her. I, I don't, I, it makes sense. You see what's-his-face at school, and everyone loves being around that guy. I mean, I kind of would enjoy that attention too, right? I mean, you would. I want that. You see the neighbor's house? I mean, it's huge. We, we don't have that, but we're getting there. We'll be there eventually, right? And now, instead of holding our balloon and allowing it to do exactly what it was created to do, we're distracted, comparisons crept in, and we're holding two balloons. We can't do what we're supposed to with one because we're having, we have two and we're holding on to it, and comparison has dressed itself up this time as jealousy, it's, it's crept in as jealousy, and we start comparing what, other ha- what others have to what we don't have, who others are to who we aren't, where others are going to where we're heading, and now we have a new standard. We have a new standard. It's our new model, our new goal, and our hands are full. And all of a sudden, we're not, what we have is not enough. It's not sufficient. And actually, maybe it isn't even about what they have or who they are. Maybe it's more about the recognition and the praise that comes with their situation. But we want it. It looks good. We can't do what God has called us to do when we focus on wishing we had what others have. Maybe it's not either one of those. Maybe you see your balloon and you like it. You're happy with it. You're satisfied. But you start to look at everybody else's around you and and you start to, to do this thing where you, you separate them based on your balloon. Okay, you, you pull it out and you're like, okay, well, well, this one, I mean, hold yours up. It's a pineapple one, it's not bad, right? It's okay, okay, so I mean, we'll, we'll put it over there. Um, uh, this one, no, that's hideous. We're not, we're not gonna mess with that one. That one's no good. Um, well, what about this one? So we like this one, right? It's not bad. But we don't want to, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it over here. All right, we'll keep it over there. What about no one, this balloon should not exist. We're, we're going to just pass on that balloon. Should not even exist. And we start to do this thing where we, we've created these groups and we've separated these balloons from ourselves. Um, maybe let me put it a different way. Okay, that one. The neighbors, they're like, they're like flaming liberals. They're like, like ultra-mega conservatives. I mean, did you see their signs in their yards? I mean, how in the world could anyone vote for this person or that person? I, I voted for the right person. I'm going to steer clear of this, and we're going to just kind of keep that over there. We're going we're to dodge that one. Don't need that one. Did you, did you see 
Did you see the, the rainbow flags? Did you see the, on the stickers on their car? I think, I think they're the, the gays, like the homosexual. Thank goodness I'm not, right? I'm not. But, I, again, I just don't need that. That shirt that they were wearing, it said, it said like BLM on it, like Black Lives Matter. Do you know what that movement stands for? I can't believe that someone would, would be a part or affiliated with that at all in any way, shape, or form. So here's what's going to happen. We're just going to, we're going to toss these over here for now. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do that for now. And what we do is we've created two different piles based on some conclusions that we've come to about each of these balloons when in all reality, we are a balloon just like them. The difference is we happen, we, we just look different. Our balloon looks different. And we develop this sort of kind of like a uh, mentality and personality about ourselves. If you haven't already caught on to where I'm going with this one, comparison this time creeps in and, and it disguises itself as judgment. Now let me say this before I go any further. I'm gonna spend the most time on this one because it's, it's something I'm passionate about. I believe Jesus is passionate about. This is not an exhaustive teaching on the idea of judgment. This is not just an entire thing about judgment. You could do an entire series on this topic, but uh, if I would be remiss if I didn't talk about judgment because it's so connected to the heart of comparison. And now the truth is, honestly, we make judgments every day. It's cold outside, I should wear a sweater. Um, that person lives under a bridge, I see him looking for, you know, for food and money on the, in the street, maybe he's homeless. Uh, that person driving that car, um, they, they turn without using their turn signal, and so they're the worst human on the planet, uh, and they're a terrible driver, right? They just need to go to prison forever. We, we make judgments every day. It happens. There's nothing wrong with making judgments. It's simply using discernment to make a certain decision or come to a certain conclusion about something or someone. The problem is, the problem is that too often we compare other situations sins or struggles to our own and we determine that we are better and that they are worse because our situations, our sins, our struggles aren't as bad. And because of that, too often we end up treating people differently, oftentimes poorly. We miss out on building relationships with new people, genuine conversations, but more importantly, we also run the risk of driving a wedge between someone maybe giving Jesus a chance and not or even worse, hurting people, emotionally, mentally, mentally, or even physically. When comparison manifests itself as judgment and creeps into our lives, we fall into the same, to this trap saying, we're better than some because we aren't as bad as some. We're better than some because we aren't, we aren't as bad as some. There's a word for it, and it's called hypocrisy. Hypocritical judgment is the word for it. Jesus speaks clearly against this regularly, actually, throughout his ministry. But there's this one instance where Jesus is preaching one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. You might recognize that. Uh, in, in Matthew's biography of Jesus, Jesus is quoted saying this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in, the same, excuse me, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I mean, this is, this is some heavy, harsh language that Jesus uses, but Jesus wants to make it very clear that there's never an opportunity, a never, never a, a, a good moment where it's okay to judge someone hypocritically. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a time and a place to judge. The end of the passage, this passage, and a couple before and after actually speaks to that. It gives us permission to use discernment to make a judgment call about a particular lifestyle or sin. And and let me say this, sin is real. I'm not gonna stand here and say that sin isn't real or isn't a thing. That's what the plank and the speck are. And I know that Chris and Venture aren't gonna shy away from talking about sin because they hate the effect it has on people. But they're always going to approach someone struggling with sin full of both truth and grace and love someone into a transformative relationship with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to do what it does best, to convict. Judgment under certain guidelines is encouraged, but judging hypocritically is never permitted by Jesus. And we have to be very careful to shy away from hypocritical judgment. The the word, actually the Greek word, for judge in this passage is the word krino. It literally means to separate or to set apart. And when we do that, when we krino, we create groups. And if we do it in such a way where we establish that we don't belong in those groups, that we're, we're better than these groups, then we're falling into the same trap, the same judge, uh, hypocritical type of judgment and run the risk of following in the footsteps of the Pharisees who were were excellent at this. When Jesus spoke against hypocritical judgment, often he was speaking about and or to the Pharisees, this group of religious leaders. And if for some reason you aren't familiar with these guys, they were a group of highly intellectual dudes, very smart, knew Moses' law inside and out. They were more, but the problem is they were more focused on the external than they were the internal. They were known for uh, wanting attention, for looking good, and wanted to be the center of everybody's viewing pleasure. Their biggest issue, though, is that they thought that the way to heaven was through the law. Uh, That you had to follow the law to the T. Uh, All 613 actually became such a problem where they said, you know what, we need to create guidelines to be like rules, to actually be able to follow the rules well so that we don't run the risk of not following the rules well. And their biggest problem is that they thought that that was the way to heaven. The issue is Jesus didn't say that. And they had a reputation for judging hypocritically. There's this moment in John's biography of Jesus where Jesus is teaching in the temple. And while he's teaching, a group of these Pharisees come in with a problem. This problem, however, is disguised as a trap that the Pharisees have planned to be able to to get Jesus to break the law and to arrest him. Check out what happens in in John chapter 8. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They met her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. You know that the law of Moses would command us to stone her. 
Now, what do you say about it? What would you do, Jesus? These men, these hypocrites, bring in this woman who they claim to have caught in adultery and put her on display for Jesus and everyone else to see. And if Jesus says, you know what, go ahead and stone her, the problem is he runs the risk of, of now losing his reputation of being a friend of sinners and maybe even losing the trust of his followers and other people if he makes that decision. But if he says, hey, no, don't stoner, then he's breaking the law and they can arrest him. Their plan was twofold. They wanted to trap Jesus, but more importantly, this might boost their reputation because, well, she was caught in the act of adultery, but I wasn't. I would never do such a thing. You wouldn't do such a thing, right? The ironic thing about this plan is that it was loaded with its own hypocrisy. They said that they caught this woman in adultery, but let's be honest, they probably didn't catch anyone in the act of adultery. That would be really weird. That probably didn't happen. And if they did, the law also demanded that they would take the man with the woman and would have thrown him out there with her to be punished the same. But what's happening is, who knows, there's speculation, but maybe the guy is ratting her out so that the husband or the man, whoever it is, uh, is ratting her out so that he could gain that reputation. But either way, all of a sudden, they're going to look really good because of this, and they're going to trap Jesus. Either way, here's this woman, sin, being put on display by a group of men who are just, just as guilty as breaking the law as she was. Judgment is dangerous. It can elevate ourselves while devaluing others at the same time. We can't do what God has called us to do when we think that we are better than other people and we don't have time for them, the ones who are messed up, even though we're messed up too. Maybe some of you are sitting in here, you're watching, and you look up here and you see yourself sitting in one of these seats. Maybe that's not an issue for you. You find yourself, maybe in a couple of these, maybe you can find yourself sitting in all of them, in each one of them at some point. And maybe you need to hear something very specific this morning from God. As you imagine yourself sitting up here, maybe you need to stop cre-knowing people. Maybe you need to stop separating them into different piles. More specifically, cre-knowing hypocritically. And I'm not saying don't use discernment to recognize sin. Again, sin is real. But maybe you need to do some more serious self-evaluation. Maybe you need to look into a mirror, be a little more critical of yourself first, making sure that there aren't these giant blemishes before you even think about criticizing someone else. Don't allow judging be the thing that you are known for. Let love be the thing that you're known for and let judgment be a tool, not the standard when looking at the world. Maybe you need to do less crino and maybe you need to lean in a little closer to those people. Maybe less separation. And maybe what you need is a little more proximity. Maybe you need to walk yourselves into that place and into that space and you need to spend a little less time separated, crino, and a little more time in the presence of these people. Listen to how Jesus responded to the Pharisees when they, when they brought this woman in. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin, why don't you be the first one, I'll let you be the first one to throw the stone. Help yourself. Again, he, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. One stone dropping on the ground after another until only Jesus was left with this woman still standing there. Jesus straightened, straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Well, no, sir. No, sir, they, they haven't. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus stepped in closer to this sinful woman instead of separating himself from her, and he spoke life into this woman. Uh, here's some things, that I want, maybe some questions for you to ask yourself when, when judgment is on the precipice, when, you, when it, it's right there and you're thinking, man, I, I, this is something I need to do. Uh, I, I want to give you some things to think about. First, uh, how's, how's my heart? Are, are you approaching this judging issue with a loving spirit? Uh, the second thing, understand the situation. You may have no idea what's going on in this person's life. Know what's going on. Knowing what's going on may help you be a little bit more compassionate, maybe a little less condemning. Number three, be as consistent as you can. If you're going to judge, you better, you better not shout it from the mountaintop one minute and then on the, in the next minute live the exact same way the thing that you're yelling at. Four, quit picking and choosing and harping on uh, one particular struggle. They're all the same. Five, don't judge someone based on the outside appearance. Jesus said this. He said, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Six, quit judging people who haven't said yes to Jesus yet. If someone hasn't said yes to Jesus yet, stop judging them. Stop judging them. Paul says this in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Quit holding those on the outside of the same standards as Jesus. They don't adhere to those rules. Seven, am I seeking, when you ask yourself, am I seeking to help someone that I love to get back on track and to pursue Jesus? And lastly, am I going to honestly and genuinely take my concerns to someone and share them with that person or just talk about them negatively behind their back or internally or with others and not look to help them? And maybe, just maybe, these questions will help you love someone to Jesus and not love them towards your standards. Maybe you'll help love them to Jesus and not your standards. Uh, maybe Jesus is trying to tell you this morning that you have everything that you need to do exactly what you've been called to do. You don't need what someone else has. You weren't meant to look like them. You aren't supposed to be able to do what they do. You were created to do exactly what you were created to do. You don't need what somebody else has. You shouldn't want what somebody else has. Sorry. Stop desiring and pursuing what others have, who they are, where they're going, what they're doing, 
and just know that what you have and who you are is sufficient. Maybe you need to hear this. Let me see that. Um, it, it ain't all about you. It ain't all, all about you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers, or maybe you do, but you still don't need others to know it. Maybe you need to hear other people out. There's other people in the world that have a lot to offer. You don't have to agree with everything that everyone says, but maybe take a bite of that thing called humble pie. Give the benefit of the doubt and see how God works through that. Know that other people are trying to figure it out the same way that we are, and they need grace. The other people in this world, besides you, they might have something to offer. Maybe, maybe ask yourself this, a couple of questions. Is it more important that you're right, or is it more important that you're respectful? Is it more important that you're right, or is it more important that you're respectful? Is it more important that you always take the lead, or that you lead through love? Is it more important that your opinion is made known, or that others are valued? And is it more important that you're elevated or that Jesus is elevated? Or maybe, maybe Jesus wants to look at you this morning and say this, this deep, intellectual, philosophical statement. You've never heard anything like it. And he just wants to say, God don't make no junk. God doesn't make junk. He didn't make you as junk. You know what's crazy is that none of the people that you compare yourself to, causing you to determine that you aren't good enough, none of them were there when you were being knitted in your mother's womb. None of them had a hand on what you look like and who you are when it was happening. But you know who was? I mean, you know the answer. God was. The creator of the universe. And David knew this best, and he was a mess. He said this, he says, for you were created for you created my inmost being and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full and well. <clears throat> you are special. And more specifically, you're uniquely created to, to do what God has called you to do. And only you can do that. Self-deprecation doesn't just create this false narrative that you're not good enough it also creates this false narrative that God isn't good enough. Your value, your worth, your importance can't be based on the great things that you've done, past or present. Can't be based on the crappy things that you've done, past or present. How you look, what you have, or what somebody else thinks about you. Your identity is based, it's not based on who you are, it's based on whose you are. It's not based on who you are, it's based on whose you are, and guess what, you belong to God. Maybe you're here this morning, comparison is dressed up as, as self-deprecation, maybe pride, jealousy, judgment, whatever it is, and it's distracted you and derailed you from living out the calling that God has put on you and for you to live out. Glorify him, tell people about his grace 
and be a good steward of your life. Maybe that's happened this morning. Maybe this is what you need to hear more than anything else. I want to say this and listen very carefully. You need to stop comparing yourself to other people. And notice how I said you. I I didn't say we. There's this principle and this rule oftentimes in communicating where you, you, it's not good to point fingers at the crowd, especially when you're trying to convict and and you say it together, we, we need help. But I said you because before the message, I put a mirror right back there and leaned it up against the computer. And, And I'm speaking into the mirror because I'm looking at myself because it's one of my biggest insecurities. It's one of the things that I struggle with the most on this planet is is not feeling good enough and comparing myself to other situations, comparing myself to other, who other people are. I said I stand up here and I love preaching, I love teaching, I love sharing God's word, digging into what it says so that it can transform our lives. But then I walk away and say, man, that just, I, don't, I just don't know if it did its job. I'm not good enough to do this, to be up here. I don't know if they got anything from that. I play this sick game where I compare myself to people like Chris. He's been a mentor my entire life, and I'm so thankful for him, and he's helped change my life, and he's had an impact on so many people. He's planted this church. It started seven years ago. There's so many people who have come to know and, and, and step into a relationship with Jesus that's transformed them in ways that only they can explain because of his vision, because of what he's done. And I look at myself, and I went to Bible college too, and I, I've been in churches, but now I just door dash, and I'm not in a church because of uh, you know, things, life happens. But he's got it figured out. And I look at Aaron and he sits up here and he leads worship, incredible voice, a gifted human being, asked to do, you know, things like, you know, lead worship sessions at, at, at conferences because he's an incredibly gifted person. And I struggle with that. And I say that to say you're not alone. And I know that I have to kill that because that comparison has also killed many a times the calling that God's put on my life, which is actually really simple. Glorify him, tell people about his son, and be a good steward of my life. In the end, I keep comparing myself to those guys. and My eyes and attention are fixed on how I measure up to them instead of fixed on my heavenly father and how he sees me. When we compare ourselves to others, we kill God's calling on our lives. My prayer for you this morning is that when you walk out of here, or the next time, hopefully it's not soon, hopefully you don't have to interact with a balloon ever again, but if you do, and you see it, you remember, ah, I remember what Joe said, and I don't want to fall into that trap. You are uniquely created to do exactly what God has called you to do. And I hope you walk out of here and know that, and leave the comparison in here, and I'll throw it away for you when you leave. Let's pray.